welcome to the Recover You podcast with Kyleen and Patrick Terhune. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Hey, Patrick. Hello, Kyleen. Today was an exhausting day. Actually, yesterday was an exhausting day, but we're feeling the effects of it today. Yeah, yeah we're very tired. So that thanks for joining us for the podcast. That's all we have for today. Okay, see you next week. See you next no, week. we um we hosted our Christmas party last night, and it was very fun. Yeah, twenty seventh annual, something like and that. When did we start it? Actually, it was several years into being married. I think. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and it's grown. Oh my gosh, this year it I think doubled. Yeah. I think yeah. I think it doubled this year, which mm-hmm. we were uh, going back and forth about several times. Do we have enough of this? Do we have enough of that? Mm-hmm. I I thought we would have enough food. We did, thankfully. Yeah. Um, you were a little worried about that, um, but I was holding fast to the fact that normally we overestimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we did okay. Yeah, I think so too. I think there were a couple moments where you know, like you walk around, you go, "Do we have enough wine?" And then, like I had, I, I didn't tell you this, but I had a brief moment yesterday where I was like. I don't think we have enough wine. <laughs> and uh, that before or after you were very concerned about having enough cups. <laughs> it was in the ballpark. In the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. It was a double play going on in my mind. So, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, but, but yeah, it all, all turned out great. But now we know. Yeah. Now we know that we can host 60 people and we kind of know what that mm-hmm. takes. Yep. Yep. And uh, so we can estimate it based on that moving forward. Yeah. 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 So, actually, last night, goes well into the topic that we're going to talk about today, which is the lies we believe. Mm-hmm. I have this fear or belief that I will tend to uh, trend towards, lean towards that people don't like me. And, you know, all of the things that we think you know, or I, I should rephrase that because not all the things we think have any sort of bearing, but um, a lot of the beliefs that we hold come from experiences that we've had in life. And so we will create these stories or these interpretations or these beliefs. And the thing about limiting beliefs is that once we've created them, and often this happens in childhood, it somewhat sets a filter for how we view the world. And when we have that filter set, we can essentially fall into the trap of gathering proof, gathering Mm -hmm. um, proof that that belief is true, even if it's not, right? Even if it's just the perspective. And this kind of goes into the idea that two people can have the same situation in life, come out with totally different perspectives, totally different um, beliefs around it. And it's not that the events were any different is that our perception around that was different. And so I tend to hold this belief that people don't like me. And I have had some difficult situations in life where people have rejected me or I've had difficult relationships or, um, you know, dif- relationships that I thought were totally fine end, right. And, and surprise me in that. And that's happened a few times. And, uh, so I think that kind of plays into that. Right. And so to have a party at your house where you invite people and you have so many people come in and say, yes. I will show up to your house, but not just that. I've been looking forward to this. I wanted to be here. They're excited to talk to you. Um, you, you know, that sort of thing. 
is is just an example, I think, of what we're going to talk about today, which is we tell ourselves all sorts of things or we allow ourselves to believe all sorts of things about ourselves that are not true. And so often that comes from wounding. And we see this, like, I, let me just clarify, first of all, that this is a human thing. Everybody does this. Um, so this is not unique to betrayal and addiction, but you will see it, I would say, highlighted in betrayal and addiction because at at that point, because trauma is so significant and mm-hmm. I would say significantly activated in both parties, like it's, it's, um, causing problems in your life at that point, that these beliefs are going to be very highlighted. And so we thought this would be a good topic, but I just thought that was a good example too. Um, the time, the timing is perfect, mm-hmm. um, that that happened. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I, I am loved, right. At people do like me. People do care about me. I mean, obviously they showed up to my house now. Maybe, maybe, maybe not all of them showed up for me. Maybe some of them showed up for you, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. but I mean, for both of us, you know, and, and to come into your house and say, you know, oh my gosh, we, we're so happy to be here. And thank you for hosting the party. And we, you know, we're so appreciative. And there was just a really good time. Um, and what's really interesting to that, uh, to me about that even is that I can still, even after the fact, go back into patterned thinking and beliefs, right? And fears and insecurities and anxiety about, well, what does this person think about me? Or what about this? Or what about this? Even when you have proof of the opposite, right? And so I thought that, that's going to be a good topic for today because both uh, every every human on this planet is going to have lies that we believe about ourselves. And so in the work that I do with my clients, we call them negative beliefs or limiting beliefs. Um, I think you might actually have a different term for it is there something that you use like in the in the support groups that you call it yeah they're limbic lies limbic lies okay so lies negative beliefs um mm-hmm. limiting beliefs just neg- almost negative self-talk but it yeah. falls into the category of like this is something we truly believe about ourselves and the problem with that is that it ultimately impacts the way we view the world the safety that we feel in relational dynamics and um, our ability to move forward in our healing because it will, in many times, keep us very stuck. Yeah, I, uh, I was as, as you were talking there, I was thinking about how people will will um, take a instance that's happened in their life, like you were saying, and, and relate it to their self, their negative self belief. So here's a good example: you feel you're unlikable. Now. In this, or I feel I'm unlovable, right? And and whatever that 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 may be, um, but there could be people who don't like you, but it doesn't go to the root of you being unlikable, right? That may not be about you. That may may be about them. Mm-hmm. So there may be somebody in my life who does not love me. Right. But it doesn't fundamentally make me unlovable. Mm. And so I think I think that that um, because human beings are human beings. And I think what the what the limbic lie or the limiting self-belief does is it forces us to take all of that responsibility on ourselves, which is too hard for any human being to do. What I mean by that is you've taken response. You're, you're, it, let's just use yours as, as you being on, you feel that you're unlikable. That's one that kind of has well, come out. That's not true. I think I'm very likable. I have a belief that people don't like me. Okay. So those, but the, I'm only clarifying because in, and sometimes in the work that I do with people, this getting very specific about what it, what it actually is, is important for us to, mm-hmm. to reframe it. Right. 
But what that could mean is that there may be a situation where somebody, let's say, doesn't like you, but you automatically assume it's because of something you did. Oh, 100%. And, and it has, and, and we, there's too much pain in the world for mm-hmm. us to single handedly absorb all the traumas of everybody that's ever, that we've ever come into interaction with. It's too hard and it's too, the world is too complex and, and, and we're not a deity that, that can do all of that. So we do that as we have that sense. It's like, well, um, let's say somebody was unfaithful to me um, and it sends me the, the belief that I'm unlovable. Well, it may have nothing to do with me. It may have to do with their own wounded patterns, right? Where they're going out. But you 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 can't take that on. That's that's where the healing work comes in is things are going to happen to you. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to have things that, you know, falling out or, or friends for a season or whatever that, that may be because those things happen, right? That's just part of life. But it's important to, as as you go through the healing process, being able to distinguish between what is maybe something, you know, from an extreme ownership, you say, hey, I have to actually get better about communicating this and saying, you know, that really wasn't about me. That was not about me. And yeah. that was about, about, you know, their woundedness patterns or their limbic lies or their negative self-beliefs. I wasn't even planning on talking about that. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And it's this idea that, yeah, we show up every day and we do the best that we can. And if we are, if we are showing up authentically, the, the kind thing to do, the health, I would say the healthy thing to do is to expect other people, uh, to, to show up and, and take the same level of responsibility for, for their life. And what I mean by that is choosing to wake up and say, I will show up and be the best version of myself that I can. And when I make a mistake, I will take responsibility for it and ownership for it and make amends and that sort of thing. And if I'm doing the best that I can, and I'm unaware that I've hurt somebody, uh, there's nothing I can do about it, right? It's their job to bring it to you. And so where what, you know, when anxiety and we kind of live into these negative self-beliefs and these fears, exactly what you said is sometimes what happens is that we live into the responsibility that isn't actually ours. And so we will take on the responsibility of, well, I have to then manage other people's responses and emotions because it's all my, my personal responsibility. I'm in charge of how they feel. And that's not true. Nobody can be in charge of how anybody else feels. And they also have their own histories and their own negative beliefs and their own woundings. And this has been something that's really, really, really hard for me to manage because I feel like since betrayal, like, things have gotten more complicated in the way like I relate to people in some ways. Um, And I do sort of want to take total responsibility for every relationship and every miscommunication and, and all this kind of stuff. And I can't because it's not all on me. Um, And that has caused me a lot of pain in some areas because I want to be understood. I want to be loved. I want to be valued in the relationship the same way I want to love and value that person and make sure that the relationship is okay. But I can't always do that. And so I think the healthy situation is that you both show up. um, And if, and it's just sort of in, in the healthy world, it's sort of expected that you show up, you be a good person. And if something's wrong, if somebody takes something or interprets something as negative in any way, mm-hmm. it's actually their responsibility to bring that to you. It's not your responsibility to anticipate that unless you're 
uh, unless you behaved in a way that was like intentionally, like right. you were, you were like cranky one day and you kind of intentionally yeah, jabbed them yeah. or something like that. Right. But if you're just living your life and you're trying to be a nice person and your intentions are good, it's not your job to analyze how somebody is going to interpret you being you. Right. Right. Yeah. For anybody out there that is like me, I'm going to repeat that. It's not your job to overanalyze how people are going to interpret you just living your life and being yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something I struggle with because oh, I, I want to, I want to make sure people know that my heart, right? Like my heart is very good. I love you. You being, I love you too, Patrick, but you, you being general, right? Like, um, I love you. And I really want this relationship to work with my friends and that sort of thing. And right. So like, I really, really desperately want people to like view me that way and like understand me that way. But at the end of the day, I have to go to sleep and be like, I'm a nice person. I try very hard to be a good friend. I cannot worry about if somebody else's filter had them perceive something that I did in a negative way. Mm-hmm. If they if they view it that way, it's their job to bring it to me. Just like it's vice versa. It's my job to bring it to them if there's a, an issue that I need resolved, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think as it relates to that particular topic, one of the things that that Post uh, discovery for us, I have have worked very hard to create environments where you feel safe and where I am nice to you. And we've talked about like love bombing with gifts and and notes and all of these things. And I think where my healing has come from is I have learned, and I think I communicated this to you recently: is I can't make you love me. I can't. There's nothing I can do to make you love me. And so, but what I can do is I can be nice and I can show up and I can do all of those as things. As your authentic self, That's which right. is a very nice person. That's right. Yeah. So, and then if that person you decide is somebody that you want to love, well, that's on you. But what I have to do is I have to try very hard to make amends and all that stuff. But if through the process of betrayal, a spouse falls out of love with the other spouse, there's nothing that the betraying spouse can do to make that person fall back in love with them. Right. It's it, And it's in that. Well, at the end of the day, people. I think the idea is you have to learn through this process. Who are you like truly right. authentically from a healed place as you go through this process of recovery on both sides? Mm-hmm. Who are you as a person? Because your job, your only job really is to show up authentically as a good person mm-hmm. It's not your job to force people to to love you or to like you. Um, and, and that comes in, in all shapes and sizes and all relationships too, right? And I think sometimes that for people that maybe had some experiences in childhood that molded them into people pleasers to kind of navigate, you know, household mm-hmm. dynamics and sibling dynamics and, you know, quote unquote, their brain kind of went into survival mode. Okay, well, I'll just make everybody happy or right. whatever. right. Then, um, then that is a hard thing to do, right? And you had the the rescuer mentality from your childhood. I don't know where I developed my people pleasing, but it's it is strong yeah. in me. Yeah. Right. And so both of us have sort of had to understand that and kind of work on it. Um, and the idea is just what you said, like I'm gonna show up as myself 
And I'm going to do my best to make sure that's a really good, kind person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to, and this is the thing about people pleasing, I'm not going to manipulate or attempt to manipulate the environment to, to manipulate your emotions around it. Right. Uh, if I if I get to show up authentically as myself, then you also get to show up authentically as yourself. I not only expect that, I want that. Mm-hmm. I want you to be who you are totally you. Right. And and the goal hopefully would be that you have two people showing up authentically that like each other, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or whatever, that yeah. these are two people that, because otherwise what's, what's really the point? Like, right. why are you right. trying so hard to be in a friendship with somebody that maybe doesn't like you or vice versa? Like if you're people pleasing so hard, did you ever stop to think that maybe you actually don't like that person and don't want to be friends with them? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. um, so there's all, but we're getting a little off topic. here. We are getting off topic. And before, before you move on, you know, a lot of times what happens is woundedness, uh, creates these environments where, um, people don't know what safe relationships are. And sometimes as people move through the process of recovery and they get into support groups for the first time in their lives, they enter into relationships with other human beings that are the safest they've ever experienced. And it's really scary for people and they're allowed to communicate. And nobody judges them. And it's just a really, really interesting time for people as they go through this. You know, good therapists will do that to you. You can unload on a therapist and or a coach and, you know, no, nobody judges you or you have a good you know, accountability partner that calls you on your BS, but also encourages you and stands by you, you know, and those those sorts of things. And sometimes people don't really experience that. So they get into a healing environment. Well, we're just going to stay off topic for a minute because, again, you bring up a very good point that I want to talk about. And it's, um, it's I, I'm going to call it the healing crisis. And it's very hard. And I would say as a people pleaser, people pleasers are going to have a really hard time with this. And that is exactly what you just said, which is when you when you start to do what, what we would call, you know, what what you might hear people term the quote unquote inner work. Right. When you're really starting to like uncover these fears, these limiting beliefs, you're starting to process them. You're starting to recognize, oh my gosh, people pleasing is actually very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's not actually, you know, good. Right. It's, it's good to show up authentically and then let them be authentic. And then sometimes conflict is okay. And then you resolve it. And like, that's the healthy thing. Right. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I have to change all these patterns I've had like for, you know, 30 years of my life. And this is really the healing crisis when you're actually getting healthy can mean that in a lot of situations, it gets uncomfortable where before it worked just fine because you kind of had a pattern with this person. And sometimes whether it's friends or family, when you start to do this work, and, and sometimes that is changing patterns, and sometimes that is learning how to set boundaries, maybe for the first time in your life, and you start to set some healthy boundaries around, you know, some unhealthy dynamics that maybe you just went along with in the past, like, right, if you were just people pleasing and navigating or, or like, like Patrick, maybe was the rescuer, right, and you're sort of um, making things kind of smooth out, right, and making people feel better, um, helping, right, then you start um, setting some actual healthy boundaries in, in life. And not only can it be a very uncomfortable for you, it can be other people don't like that either, mm-hmm. right? It, they've they've been in this pattern lock with you in a relational dynamic as well. And so it, this process can be really uncomfortable sometimes and really hard. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you're not clear on where you're going and why you're doing it, it can get very confusing, I think. Because you're like, well, I I was just trying to set a boundary here. Why is this? So if you're not anticipating the pushback when you do things like that. And so what you're saying is when 
what, what brought that up is when you're saying, yeah, you might be experiencing a healthy relationship for the first time and understanding what these dynamics look like that I don't want to say it can be intoxicating, but in a sense, you're like, oh, this is what healthy feels like. And, mm-hmm. and so then you don't really want to go back to your old patterns. Right. And so then it prompts you to begin making these changes in your other relationships and in your life. And, and that's where I'm saying it can get very uncomfortable. It's not that it's a bad thing. It can actually be a, a wonderful thing for the rest of your life. But the process of actually going through it and making those decisions can be so hard. Yeah. And yeah. that, you know, and again, that's, one of the reasons we always talk about coach, practitioner, therapist, people that can support you through this mm-hmm. because yeah. it's, it, yeah, you, it's, it's difficult to think through. So back on topic, hmm. the lies we believe, um, people pleasing is good, right? That's a lie we believe. Right. No, but, but, um, primarily what we meant by that is, um, the negative beliefs that we have. And, and there were four that I kind of listed out as very common negative beliefs that, we think that both the addict and the betrayed partner, pretty much across the board, most people are going to have these four, probably more than this, but this is what we're going to talk about today. You already mentioned the first one, which is I'm unlovable. The second one is no matter what I'll do, I'll never be good enough. The third one is I'm bad. And this is, we'll expand on these each individually, but and number four is something is wrong with me. So you already mentioned I'm unlovable. That was actually one of your primary right. core beliefs. Right. Yeah. And, and so like you talked about the rescuer mentality, it was very much my, my sense. And, and I think I'm good at it. And it's actually, you know, I, I, I don't mind helping people. I really, really don't. But the flip side, because of my woundedness and, and, the, and the lie that I believe is, therefore, I could not be rescued. And so there was, there was. Um, because you were the rescuer? Because I was the rescuer. There was re- no time. There was no, you know what I mean? So like, I had to, I had to go it alone because you know, it, it just, you know, I had to be the one that absorbed everything. And so it was, you know, I think some of it came from, uh, I was the kid growing up that, that, um, never caused problems was always the, the, you know, the, the straight A student, the, the well-behaved student. And, you know, and, and you always, you always run the risk of, of, of sounding like you're whining about your childhood. I had a nice childhood, but it was, you know, it didn't leave a lot of room for me to say, hey, I'm hurting or I'm, you know, I, I need some help here. I don't know how to figure this out or I'm lonely or whatever that may be. You know, just the family didn't dynamic didn't exist that way. But I got accolades when I did these great things. You know what I mean? Well, I think that's an important um, thing to kind of talk about is that is how these are created in our mind, right? Mm-hmm. It's not always that somebody did something bad to you. That's right. Yeah. It's maybe a conversation wasn't had. Sometimes there's things that don't happen mm-hmm. that allow us to create these decisions in our brain about who we are and what our role in life is. And sometimes it just, it, it, it happens because of the dynamic between siblings and parents. And had you ever gone and expressed some sort of need to your parents, would they have said, oh my gosh, no, you don't have to do that, right? Could that conversation Obviously. maybe have been had? Yeah. And, it, and, I, um, and I actually do believe it would have been positive. I right. actually, yeah, I think. But it was an interpretation based on the family dynamic that mm-hmm. basically in your little brain, it, it said, this is who I am. This is my role. Right. I'm interpreting based on my environment. And that's a thing. We make so many of these decisions in our, in our child brains, in our, in our right. young, undeveloped brains. So it's not necessarily, you know, trauma that causes them always. Right. There, right. there are, yeah. but yeah. And then, you know, through, through life, what happens if you have a little bit of that self belief then when things happen in your life you, you it's a confirmation bias 
And so, you know, infidelity in my first relationship and my second rela- relationship, that just confirms the, well, I, I guess I'm unlovable and I'm going to have to be more of the rescuer. That way my feelings don't matter. And so these things just kind of continually reinforced. And then we talked about my car accident. Well, then all of a sudden now I'm a caregiver, right? So ultimate rescuer, and there's no time for my feelings and there's no time for, for anything like that, which, you know, drove those wounds deeper and, and, you know, it was just the feelings of being trapped and all of those things. Yeah. You basically had a belief from childhood that then got repeated over and over and over and ingrained. And you're like, this is just who I am now. Like, and there's, and also just some, based on some of the conversations we we've had, I sort of think you had this idea that it, it was unchangeable. Right. Like there's right. like, if, if this is true about who I am, you, you sort of believed it to the point that you couldn't do anything about it. And so then you actually on a subconscious level, self-sabotage your way right into that pattern mm-hmm. of, well, basically like in our relationship, well, if she's going to leave me anyway, if you go all the way to the core belief, because I'm unlovable, right? then I'm just going to self-sabotage all the way up until that happens. Yeah. Right. Right. Or, you know, and we've gone through this in recovery after discovery is the, the belief will be, well, I, you know, she's better off. You're better off without me. You're just better off without me. And so I'm going to make the decision for you. I'm going to make that happen for you because you obviously don't see it. I know it to be true. So let's just go ahead and get there. And ultimately, you'll recognize that. Mm-hmm. And so like, and, and you may be like, no, that's not what I believe. And and actually, we've talked about this. A lot of the wives and the stories that, you know, in the, in, in the groups that the wives don't want to leave. The wives want to see change. And they're willing to be excited about that change and to stand there for that and to go through that process. And wives are not in a hurry to leave. Mm. They're not. And, and so it's a, but as, as wounded men or wounded, you know, uh, uh, um, people who betray, we can believe that. That's a, that's a belief that, Hey, they're just better off without us. And that goes to the core of who you believe you are as a person. That just goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, which is like, you can't be, you can only be responsible for your own behavior. We have to stop making decisions for other people's emotions and other people's thought processes. Mm-hmm. We can have conversations so that we can deep more deeply understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. But we kind of like as as human society, we have to stop thinking we know what the other people are thinking or thinking we know what's best for the other person. Right. Um right. I, I feel like so many problems will be solved if we could actually show up that way. Mm-hmm. It's so hard though, which is why we have these issues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think about this, it's like, you know, there was there was a, you know, the story I told you before we, you know, as we were getting together and moving into marriage, it was like, well, you know, it, it won't come up anymore. She doesn't need to know. It'll be too hard for her to hear it. Well, you know, it was really, really hard for you to hear and read about, you know, discovery. That was even worse. It was a bazillion times worse. And you handled it. And you managed it. And you got through it. And it hurt. And it was painful. But here we are. You know what I mean? So it's like... It, you, you make a really good point about like, I didn't give Had you, you trusted me early. Right, enough right. To be I didn't, you know, what I needed was rescuing. That's absolutely what I needed. And, and through this process, I was in fact rescued. You were trying to manage my emotions right. in that moment. But also I think you didn't really acknowledge deeply to yourself at the time, but 
But had you thought, oh, she can handle it, would you maybe have told me a different story? Well, if I possibly, yeah. I mean, like, like that whole like. You know, if she finds out, I really like Kyleen. She really likes me. I feel like this is the key to a good life. If I let on that that this is possibly a thing in my life, what's she going to think? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's going to confirm because that I'm unlovable. I showed up and she said, I was being authentically myself. And I said, hey, this is a problem for me. Have you ever had an issue with right. it? Like, what's your story? Yeah. And yeah. so I kind of laid my cards on the table and you said, no, let's just not maybe be totally open yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And it's and not so, an uncommon pattern. Right. And that and that's a, that is a good point because we are specifically talking to be, betrayed partners and addicts. And um, yes, I handled it mm-hmm. 10 years later. Yes, I believe maybe there was a reason for the timing. But yeah, mm-hmm. could it have been different? If we had known a decade earlier, I just think, and we really haven't, maybe we've talked about it more than I think we have, but we haven't really dug into the depth of trauma for the betrayed spouse and the things that I've experienced over the past three years. And like, I guess we haven't really um, talked a whole lot about like the residual impact. Yeah. So I think when we talk, when when we're, when we would talk to people, I would say, the moment that you know that it's a problem in your life or the moment you acknowledge that it's an issue of any sort, I would say, talk to your spouse. Don't wait. Yeah. And yeah. don't go, oh, well, she can handle it later. No, that's, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. I think the moment you know that it's a potential, show up authentically as yourself, tell the truth. Yeah. yeah. Because the the residual impact can she handle it and anyone can handle i mean the the level of trauma that a human being can handle in their life is significant i don't wish it on anyone of course not yeah of course not and you know you think about it this way it's like if if let's say you were to have found out during our dating life right that the story was more involved than, than what i told you who knows whether we would have stayed together or not we don't we don't know that right but would it have have saved us both? Would it have pushed me into therapy? Would it? Have, you know what I mean? There's like any number of possible positive things that would have happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and it's hard to predict what would have happened to the relationship. But um, you know, it certainly would would not have resulted in what occurred on mm. you know January twenty one. On the betrayed side, the the belief that we're talking about that I'm unlovable, um, let's just say there's something, because a lot of times betrayal doesn't necessarily create new beliefs. Sometimes it does. I think sometimes it creates new beliefs, but a lot of times what it does is it locks in and proves old beliefs that we had or fears or insecurities mm-hmm. that we had before, and it just exacerbates them. And so on the betrayed side, a lot of the I'm unlovable, uh, unlovable is proved because of um, cheating, right? And so, well, if if I was really lovable, then this wouldn't have happened. If I was really lovable, if he really loved me, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have cheated. Right. Right. And so that can, that's a belief for sure. If a betrayed partner holds on any level that once discovery starts, that, that belief can be deeply, deeply rooted at that point and go see, like, it's just like, I'm totally unlovable. And then, and we didn't really talk about this too much. Um, I kind of mentioned like you kind of even acting into self-sabotaging. But that's one of the problems with these beliefs is that 
if we don't identify them and we notice these patterns in our lives that we keep living into that are not beneficial for us, a lot of times it's because we are actually subconsciously living into a negative belief that we have. Mm -hmm. And that's why this is really important is because if we don't know what the belief is, if we haven't done the work to identify it and to change it, then we're going to keep living into it, which is basically living into self-sabotaging patterns that stop us from having healthy relationships, that stop us from accomplishing the things that we want to do in life. Because we literally on some level don't believe that we deserve that thing or that we're capable of actually doing the thing that we say that we want. And so if you notice that you're like, well, I want to do X, Y, Z, and you try and you keep failing, you try, you keep failing, you try and keep failing, it would definitely be worth looking into what are the beliefs that I actually have about this thing mm-hmm. because even you know in that I mean it applies to everything like relationships work health all these types of things if we don't actually believe that we can accomplish something we won't yeah. and so if you're trying if you find yourself in those patterns that's why this is really really important and so if you think you're unlovable you will in some subconscious pattern ways end up in relationships that prove that point, even when that's not what you want to do. Right. Right. Yeah. And so knowing that you are somebody of worth and value is going to change that perspective. And so there's, there's like conscious ways to do this, right. Um, that we can kind of consciously identify these. What I do with my clients, I find, and what I've worked with, with my coaches and I find is very powerful is the subconscious work because ultimately that's where the beliefs are held. And so we can, we can't like, logic our way out of a belief that's that deeply rooted most of the time we we can't talk ourselves out of it like how many times would you you hear somebody say well i i really deeply to my core feel insecure and feel unlovable but i'm just going to decide today that i'm lovable right like right, yeah. you can yeah. you can logically know that what you believe isn't true you can logically know that that's not right and still be living into the negative pattern. And so that's where the subconscious stuff, whether it's, you know, what I do with my clients, which is replacing the limiting beliefs and going through some subconscious work so that your brain guides us and then accepts the new belief and then applies it to your life. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. Yeah. It's helped me a lot. It helps my clients tremendously. Or it's something like EMDR, brain spotting, or something yeah. that oh, works yeah. on that level. Yeah. Very important, I think, to actually Absolutely. not just my point is identifying the belief is not the only step to healing. Yeah. You have to, you have to turn it. You have to turn what, what, and you have to have people help you turn that. Mm. Yeah. Number two, no matter what I do, I'll never be good enough. So obviously on the betrayed side kind of plays into what I was just talking about. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not nice enough. Um, during recovery, actually, I would even say this came up for me sometimes. It's just like, I'm just not good enough. Like, why am I not healing faster? Right. Like this idea that mm-hmm. like, well, I should be kind of a comparison thing, right? Like, why why am I stuck on this? Why is why is this particular issue hard for me? Yeah. I, I know you would say, um, and this this is this, I think this is the most prevalent. You would say, I think, I think most of most other people, if they were um, like married to you or whatever, they'd be ecstatic. Why am I not? You know, and I was like, well, and I, I think I was smart enough to go, well, our, our journey is our journey and it just is what it is. And so we have to get, you know, we have a unique set of circumstances that, that are part of our betrayal story. And therefore we have a unique set of circumstances that are going to be part of our healing story. And so you can't, one of the worst things you can do is compare 
through this process because then you know and and, and sometimes we're all competitive by nature we can be like haha doing better than that person but are you you know what i mean and and so it's it it you really have to focus on what is your particular journey because we you know like i i think i told the story about my upbringing i have two older brothers that have completely different experiences with with my parents and the family dynamic and they're just different you, you hear that that um phrase a lot it's like three kids in a house or however many kids in a house mm-hmm. have three different sets of parents yeah yeah right right yeah because they're in different spots in their lives it's, and yeah. they learn from raising the first one and apply to the second and and then but then they those those kids have different wounding and it's just different experiences so interesting yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, the comparison is, is I think hard and kind of in this, in this belief, no matter what I'll do, I'll never be good enough. Sort of that's what we've been talking about is sort of a broad spectrum. When I do work with my clients, we dig into making the broad spectrum one very, very, very specific because when we're doing subconscious work, I want it, I want to know the specific belief, the sentence, Mm -hmm. the, that the words that resonate kind of on your soul level, that this is what I believe about myself. And so kind of in this one, the, the no matter what I'll do, I'll never be good enough kind of uh, includes areas like lack of confidence or fear of the unknown and things like that. And so um, we will get incredibly specific on what does that look like in terms of what you specifically believe about your scenario. And what I like to do with the belief is we'll take the fear and like, how does, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. So like, for example, um, like lack of, lack of trust after betrayal um, can show up more specifically for someone. It might sound like no matter how good things seem, I know something bad will happen. Mm-hmm. So that can happen. I mean, a lot of people can have that belief, but particularly if you are experiencing PTSD or CPTSD or anything like that, or you've had several experiences in your life where you did trust and and then bad things happened, it can really drive that belief home. And so that that verbiage might be more specific for an individual, like no matter how good things seem to go or no matter what's happening or no matter what he does, um, I just know something bad's going to happen or I know right, that he's right. going to relapse or I know the other shoe's going to drop. I know the other shoe's going to drop. I know that our relationship is going to end, right? Like on some level, that mm-hmm. was going to be a belief that like, had you rooted that out specifically in a sentence form, it would have been like, no matter how nice I am to Kylie she's going to leave me. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. Like that would be when I'm, when, when I'm ta- doing a, a limiting belief session with my client, like that's how specific we get. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? How does that actually show up? Like, what's the outcome of that belief for you? Yeah. It's not just like, well, I can't trust anybody. It's like, if I do this or, you know, whatever, this is the outcome. Mm-hmm. And so then what we do is we sit down and we go, okay, well, what, what, how do we want to replace that? Like, what is it that you actually want to start living into? And so a replacement example for, for a belief like that would be, I can trust my intuition to know when things are safe and to take action when they aren't. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I am always, I try to be very careful with the types of beliefs that we actually install and that we replace with because they need to be safe and realistic, right? You never want to install a belief in somebody that's basically like, oh, the world is totally safe and I can trust every single person I come across, right? right <laughs> it's right, not yeah. true. Yeah, it is not. So like the fear is based in re- real situations that you've had where you've trusted and been vulnerable, right? And then bad things have happened. Like that's where that fear comes from. Mm-hmm. So when we put a replacement belief in it, it's more about like, 
what's going to be true and realistic and helpful for you to actually live into health Mm -hmm. in the way you engage in your relationships in the future while still being very realistic in allowing you to protect yourself, right? Based on the experiences that you've had in your life. Mm -hmm. So something where you say, you know, I'm learning how to trust my intuition and I'm going to lean on that in future relationships, or I can trust my intuition. Because one of the things I found too, is a lot of times, um, a lot of, a lot of betrayed partners will feel like, well, I just can't even trust myself. And sometimes we need to look back and go, how is that actually, how is your intuition actually speaking to you mm-hmm. during those times? Because most of the time your intuition isn't broken. We just need to learn how to to actually listen, listen and respond to it. Yeah. And so that's a little, a little um, more uh, deeply into how, like what, when you're talking about these broad spectrum, like I'm unlovable, no matter what I do, right. May, if you're not even resonating with that, you're like, oh, I feel lovable. There may be a specific belief within that umbrella term that's more specific to you. And that's what I do like in my, in my mm-hmm. client sessions, cause it's really important. Um, that's how we kind of dig into the heat, the actual healing part mm-hmm. of recovery. Anything else on that? The, the, no matter what I do, I'll never be good. Okay. Number three, I'm bad. So that's a really good example of like, okay, that's a very broad term. You might not actually think you're bad, but do you, well, but really let's dig into it, right? Like what's the actual belief under there? That's a broad spectrum term, but we're really getting into um, guilt, mm-hmm. shame, kind of what you're talking about earlier. I'm going to take responsibility for everyone else. Well, why would I do that? Yeah, if I, if right. I, if I stood here and felt like I am a good person and I show up in the world as goodness and I truly believe that, would I take responsibility for everyone else's thoughts, feelings, and emotions around me? Or would I do that if I actually think I'm a bad person and I'm showing up and I'm offending people and I'm hurting feelings and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff, right? Like if I, and I felt like I was at fault. So stuff like that, that we were talking about earlier, that's going to come under like, well, I'm bad, really. People can really yeah. see who I am. Well, and, and, and Doug White says that in The Conqueror, he goes, you know, we, we go from, I did bad to I am bad. And and that's a huge shift. And if people don't understand the distinction between that, so like, you know, it it if if you are just bad, then all those previous things we said, then you are unlovable, you are mm-hmm. unlikable, you are all of those things that 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 you know comes from what you've done. There's great redemption, you know, when you've when you start to think about what I did was bad, and I'm gonna understand why I did what I did, and then I'm gonna take it down a step further and change my behaviors Mm. and try to understand that if you just are bad then there's no there's no other way to go right so if you just did bad then you can you can analyze it and you can say how do i how do i move from a a point where i i am doing bad to the point where i'm no longer doing bad that's a a process i think that was what we talked about I, i believe it was episode seven which is like the identity how you speak to yourself really matters. Right. Right. So I am statements are incredibly um, important to know how you're speaking to yourself because you will, again, subconsciously live into those statements because those are beliefs. If you think I am X, Y, Z, and you then you, on some level, you really believe that. Alternatively, what you're saying is versus if I do, if I did something bad or I made a mistake, mm-hmm. that's a very different terminology because in front of that, you could put, I'm a good person and Mm -hmm. I'm a good person and I made a mistake. That's a very different approach than I'm a horrible person who does bad things. And because then you're just like, well, like you said, I'm just going to live into that because I just think that's all I'm capable of. Right. And so even, even when we're thinking about how we word things is, you know, moving forward into stepping into what we want is going to be very important. You know, I think that's, I think that's important. 
Um, so I, I'm bad can also show up as like, um, you know, fear of being seen, um, just, you know, because a lot of, uh, what we are surrounded by is religious culture and, and church culture and religious belief and faith and things like that. Um, purity culture would totally fall within this. Purity oh. culture makes you feel like you're bad, right. like you're intrinsically bad, like showing up, yeah. being a woman in society, having an attractive body, being in shape, being um, extroverted as a female, having a voice, uh, using your voice, speaking up against uh church uh culture or mm-hmm. um how public shaming of behavior public shaming of right. behavior or even just like um you know a woman you know having a personality and 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 speaking confidently maybe disagreeing with a man right mm-hmm. like in in purity culture and I church, disagree with you <laughs> I'm sure you do now in um <laughs> In, in church culture, right, and church culture and purity culture, it actually breeds a lot mm-hmm. of, and I want to be very careful to say this, this is this is not what I believe to be true Christianity and Jesus and the Bible. We're talking mm-hmm. about church, like human culture does this, and purity right. culture specifically, these threads yeah. that that people live into. And, and it does, it causes a lot of those I'm bad and purity culture is horrible. I mean, it just like, it makes you feel like I can't exist in the world as a female without causing men to, you know, stumble themselves. And, you know, and so then what does that say? It says my body is bad. Right. 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 And so it's just, I mean, on the flip side with, with men. So it's like, Hey, you should just be able to, you know, hold yourself off until marriage. And then, so a a guy gets into a relationship and he's, and he's feeling all these urges and everything. And all of a sudden now he's like, I'm a bad person because of this, because I should just be able to, to hold it off. It's like, well, no, I don't know. You're, 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 you're a human being and you're okay. And you know what I mean? Like, like as, as far as, you know, so I, I think, I think there's. Explain what you mean. Cause I think that was a little. Well, it's like, <laughs> let's say, you know, the whole purity culture is, Hey, you're going to save yourself for marriage. Right. So, so a, a man meets a woman, mm-hmm. right. And they're dating and they're kissing and, you know, he guilt himself like crazy. Right, he guilt himself. Right. Because, you know, he, and, and, and and maybe you know they they cross some own personal boundaries as far as yeah right right and then you're like oh my gosh I'm a horrible person like like no or you know you like know, okay no, let me you're you're, you're saying like okay even if, if you're saying if someone comes from a really conservative background and they have sex before marriage mm-hmm. um, purity culture is going to shame them to the point where right. they think they're a bad person that's correct for doing that right that that's kind of where you're going with that yeah okay yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and then and but the other thing I think what you were alluding to there is purity culture also speaks directly into sex is bad until the day you get married and then all of a sudden it's supposed to be it's good beautiful. yeah but you've had all this um predetermined um other sort of beliefs installed in your brain for 20 years of your life. And then all of a sudden overnight, you're supposed to believe something totally different. That's right. And you can't, that's not how that works. And so, yeah. So that's where I am bad can come from. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, fear of being seen and stuff like that can show up from that. And so again, just getting more specific about like, what does this look like when you're doing a session, a limiting belief that might fall into that looks like, Speaking up for myself means I'm demanding and people won't like me, right? So, I mean, just again, think about purity culture, think about church culture, think about patriarchal dynamic, a woman that is using her voice in her family or in her marriage or anything like that may have been taught to think that, well, me kind of pushing back is being demanding or being rude or being disrespectful or whatever. And, 
you know, that's a whole other thing, but we might be holding those beliefs for whatever reason. So it might look a little more specific like that. Like speaking up for myself means what? It means I'm demanding. What does it mean? It means, um, you know, X, Y, Z for you, right? It might be different for you. Mm-hmm. And, and then what? And people don't like me right. or, you know, someone's going to leave or I'm going to get in trouble, right? Um, whatever that looks like. And so replacing that can look up because, you know, we believe that using your voice is good. You're supposed to, it's important for your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, that again, going back to the beginning, what we were talking about, you get to show up in the world authentically you and be surrounded by people that respect that and like you for that version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so the new, the new belief would be something to the effect of speaking up for myself is both safe and healthy in healthy relationships. Again, taking that piece of reality that goes, you know, maybe it's not safe for you in some instances. Maybe you know certain times when that is not a, a relationship that you uh, want to do that mm-hmm. because they're not coming from a healthy place. Right. But you do want to start attracting the relationships in which being yourself and being authentic and, you know, you're creating this new identity and stepping into that is healthy. And so you'd word it in a way that makes sense mm-hmm. for your safety moving forward in life. Right. So you always want to be careful about that. Number four, something is wrong with me. A lot of these overlap, right? But we're we're kind of getting specific, but something is wrong with me. And so again, getting a little more specific, I'm broken Mm -hmm. or the terminology, like you've heard me say this all, like I'm not normal. (laughs) Like there's something wrong with me. I remember thinking in my addiction, you know, in the little, with my attempts to quit, I was like, what is wrong with me? You know, and and, and I've said this before, like, you know, you're beautiful. You're, you're an amazing wife. What's wrong with me? You know, like, like, why, why was this a thing? Like, what, what was wrong with me? And that was before I understood all of the the impacts of wounding over the years and and what that did and the lack of honesty and and all of those things. So at the end of the day, you know, what was wrong with me is a woundedness had taken over and led me to to uh, engage in compulsive behavior. Um, but it could be fixed and 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 it could it could you know i i thought i was past that i remember all those dreams i would have about being an 80 year old divorcee and in a nursing home and still engaging in the behavior yeah that's a really kind of fundamental kind of belief that, that i was never going to change you know that would be a deep belief that i'm bad because it's like it will go with me to the rest of my life it'll go to the yeah. grave right, yeah right and and a kind of yeah and also something's wrong with me like mm-hmm. i'm i'm unfixable right, right right so i think with something's wrong with me you're going to hear words like i'm broken i'm not normal people don't like me i don't like me i think that's important too is like sometimes so there's this thing called perception is projection mm-hmm. and that's the idea that like we perceive and we interpret things around us but a lot of times it's just projecting what we are actually thinking ourselves or what something that's inside of our own life. And so sometimes we're, we're just projecting onto the world, like what we're, what's actually internal to us. And so that can be, um, sometimes we go, people don't like me. And then it's like, okay, wait, why do I think that? Is it because I don't like me? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's usually where that's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there are the top four, or I don't know if I'd say the top four, but four common ones that we see a lot. I would, mm-hmm. I would say on both sides, I think maybe just all of humanity has these. Yeah. Um, but again, just getting more specific, I'll leave you with one final example. Um, so uh, a limiting belief, getting more specific might look something like being vulnerable. And, and I'm thinking through betrayal here, right? As a, as a betrayed spouse, you might have somebody say something to this effect. Being vulnerable means I'm being stupid. Mm-hmm. 
right? So think about when you go through a traumatic situation, you trusted someone for a really long time, they betrayed your trust. So healing and being um, vulnerable again, we might have a very deep fear that that means I'm being stupid. I'm making a dumb choice to trust somebody that's already hurt me. Like it's proven that this is possible, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I'm dumb to do it again, right? And so that may be a belief that's in there is that being vulnerable basically means I'm being, I'm making a dumb decision. Right. Right. And so a new belief to replace that might look something like vulnerability actually takes strength. Mm -hmm. And I will, again, going back into intuition and I will trust my gut to know when it's safe. Yeah. Because again, you don't want to say that being vulnerable is the right decision in every situation. It's not. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely not. And so I, I hope you, um, after the end of this episode, um, get, maybe you've identified with something specific in here and you have a clear idea maybe of some things that are in your way, some things that are blocking you, but also a clear, um, a clear path to like, what does that look like to actually deal with it? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not just saying, okay, well, I figured this out. Okay. So tomorrow I'm good. It's, it's okay. Maybe you heard I'm bad. Maybe that resonated a little bit. There's some digging in there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with my clients, it takes a little while for us to talk through and for me to understand where it's coming from and how it shows up in their life before we're able to create the sentence that actually resonates with them on a mm-hmm. personal level. And then it takes more time to create, okay, what do we want to replace that with in a way that makes sense for you? That's safe in your situation that makes sense for where you want to step into. Mm-hmm. And then even then, even when we have the, the, the limiting belief and the new belief, that's not it. We have to actually go in, do the subconscious exercise so that your body accepts it. Right. And so that, you know, because a lot of times what happens when we start is that you resonate heavily with the limiting belief and you go, but yeah, but I don't believe the new belief. Mm-hmm. You, like, yeah, that's the point. That's we, right. we have to do the actual exercise to get your body to accept the new belief mm-hmm. and to, so that you can start practicing that so that you can feel more comfortable using your voice so that you can feel um, more comfortable setting boundaries so that you can actually practice. Um, you know, a lot of times like people feel, um, after they've been betrayed, they feel super insecure in their bodies. Right. And so, um, sometimes it might take processing that fear and that belief and that insecurity to actually go out into the public and wear that outfit that you used to feel comfortable Mm -hmm. in that you really want to feel comfortable in again. But since betrayal, you've just felt like, well, I look stupid now. Mm -hmm. And this is looking like I'm trying too hard or, you know, whatever. And versus, you know, what you used to feel like, Hey, I have some fashion, I have some style and I look good. Right. And I feel really good in this and this expresses my personality. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is like the outcome. So just to give you some practical ideas of what this is looking like in real life is, is actually changing our behavior and our patterns and how we're allowed to show up in, in the world, feeling safe, feeling comfortable in who we are as human beings. Yeah, I'd actually like to. Uh, there's a book that I read early on in, in recovery called Winning the War in Your Mind. And it's Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. It's by Craig Rochelle. And when you look at Craig Rochelle externally, he's a he's a he's a pastor in a church in Oklahoma. He's uh, fit. He uh, his organization created the Version Bible app. So like far reaching uh, uh, his organization has, has a far reach. He's um, a great communicator. He writes books. He has a leadership podcast. So, you know, externally, you think he's got his. He's got his stuff together, right? Mm -hmm. But he writes this in there. He goes, my strongest thoughts were centered on my weakness, and I knew they were leading me to a place I did not want to go. Finally, I decided I'd had enough. I had to do something. It was time to win the battle for my mind. For about two years, my mind was my number one priority of prayer. I read so many books on the topic that I lost count. I also received counseling 
from a psychologist and confided in trusted friends and mentors. I discovered and started using tools that allowed me to practice two disciplines, retrain my thought patterns and reorient reorient my trajectory. Mm. And the bottom line, I knew that if I ignored the battle any longer, I'd lose it. And so here's a guy that externally seems like he's got everything all together. But you know, think about what he said there was his strongest thoughts were centered on his weaknesses versus kind of the other way around. So they had kind of taken on his life. And he talks about what he did. He didn't just kind of quickly start to write things down or change. He did everything is kind of what he's saying. He went to a therapist. He started reading. He developed new habits and did all these things that start to turn his life around. So, you know, on this topic, I would recommend all of you pick up the book. It's called Winning the War in Your Mind by Greg Rochelle. But it's really great on how it teaches you to kind of retrain your thoughts and how to get help and things like that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And then... um... I will also just throw this in there because sometimes when we think about doing this work or we think about doing subconscious work or whatever, we go, oh, this is a belief I've had for like 30 years. How long is it going to take me to undo it? Right. And and I will say sometimes there are layers. And so sometimes we, we mm-hmm. might have to do multiple um, belief sessions or whatever. But I had a client um, and this is this is this is not uncommon, like um, that I had a client the other day. We We went in, we did a limiting belief session, came out. They said wow, that was so fast and so effective because mm-hmm. we kind of test it after. We're like, okay, how do you feel about this now? Like, I want you to think about the future when this would kind of show up and I, how would you feel about doing it differently now? How would you show up differently? Yeah. And they're like, that was really fast and, and really effective. I'm like, I know. When you have the right exercise for the right circumstance, you've done the work to, to again, like I said, like make sure that you have the that's why we take the time to make sure it's specific enough to you, right? And and when you do the the exercises and your brain and your body are ready, sometimes it can be very fast. And and a lot of the sub, the re, one of the reasons I love the subconscious work specifically is because it can accomplish sometimes what talking about something for years it will it will take so much longer. Right. And when we drop into the subconscious for it to actually click on that level, it can happen so quickly sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I like it so much for for stuff where you just really, really feel stuck or you yeah. find these patterns that are like looping for you. And, so. Yeah. 30 years of trauma doesn't take 30 years of process to no. fix. It, I think that's, and sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to engage in that because it's going to take no, not necessarily. You can actually move through healing pretty fast mm-hmm. in engagement. Right? And I mean, I had I had done, you know, talk counseling and all these different types of things mm-hmm. before. And when I started learning the subconscious stuff, um, it I, I was like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. It was so different. And it brought some things up that even though I had talked through things a million times, I was like, whoa, I never thought about this, right? It was just it's in there. It's in your brain. And that's all we're using is we're using your brain to guide the process. And when your brain is ready to process something, mm-hmm. it's ready to process something. Right. And that's all we do is, is allow your brain to guide the process. And it goes, yep, I, I need, I need you to, to bring this up to your awareness. Mm-hmm. I need to bring this into your consciousness because it's been stuck down here. Yeah. And now you can make these connections. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And a lot of, a lot of times the comments I get after a session are things like, I feel lighter. I feel like I can breathe. Yeah, I feel like yeah, a weight yeah. has been lifted yeah. off. You know, yeah. it's so cool. So um, shameless plug, if you are a betrayed spouse and you, and you need some coaching and, and you're looking to to do some healing work one-on-one, um, just cl- 
click the link in the in the show notes and book a connection call. I'd li- like to talk to you and just see, you know, would we be a good fit together? And um, what does that look like? And depending on what phase you're in, in the journey, that type of work is more or less appropriate. If you're very early on, a lot of times what we're doing is kind of getting you into stabilization and safety and, and kind of figuring that out. And then as you continue to go through and, and get a little further in the process, then we can do some of this deeper emotional work. And, it's, and that's when a lot of the emotions start to rise to the surface and we figure out like, what does that look like. So, but I love doing that work. So feel free to reach out if we can support you anyway, we're happy to do that. But I hope this episode got you thinking this is, I mean, we just, I think we just shared like, I don't know, years of Mm -hmm. downloads kind of in one episode of of things that we've kind of processed. So hopefully it's helpful. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) See you next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, it would mean so much if you leave a five-star review or post a screenshot and share on social media. We are on a mission to share the message of recovery and you can help get the word out. If you know a friend who could use this podcast, please share it.